I doubt very seriously any of you have this week used the word glory outside of a church context. You didn't say the word glory, you didn't think the word glory, you didn't hear the word glory, you didn't read the word glory unless you were reading the Bible or maybe singing a church song. I don't think at any time this week your children came up to you and said, I'm going to clean my room, mom. I promise I'm going to stop arguing with my brother to your glory. Probably didn't happen. Dad, to your everlasting glory, I will rake the leaves. I know that didn't happen. You did not hear a newscaster at any point this week tell you anything was accomplished in Washington, D.C. to the glory of Congress or to the glory of our country. You have not heard a football player this week express that he's not being given the glory he's due. At least not that word, glory, right? Somebody cut you off on Luke 250 this week. Glory is not the first thing that came to your mind. Not his glory, not your glory. We just don't say the word glory anymore. It's an English word, but it's not a real word. Not anymore. It's become a church word only. The only place we use glory is in this room. Well, the Bible tells us we are made to glorify God. That's our purpose, to bring God glory. And we read it in the scriptures, and we sing it in the songs. We've sung a bunch of glory this morning to God. Amen? Glory. Glory. I want you to say that word out loud. Say it right now. Glory. Okay, don't say it like a TV preacher. Somebody said glory. It's not glory. It's glory. Right? It's a real word. Say it. Glory. It's a real word. And as disciples of Jesus and as children of God, if we don't know what that word means, we've got a problem. Because it's everywhere in the scriptures. And it's not just about God and what's going on in heaven. It is very, very much about us and what's going on right here, right now. Colossians 1 says, Christ in you the hope of glory. Paul is the writer here, and he says, this mystery has been hidden to the world. Most people don't get it, but to the saints, to you, you understand it. It has been revealed to you, Christ in you, this hope of glory. Ephesians 3, at the end of Paul's beautiful prayer, you've heard this a million times, To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church always says, amen. That's right. But what is it we're amening? What does it mean for the church to give glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So bringing glory to God is somehow related to everything we do, even the way we eat and drink our meals. And if we can't explain that to our neighbors or to our kids, that's a problem. We need to define glory. What is glory? Most of the time, I think that we think about glory in terms of what we can see. I really do. Like this blue sky. This is a nice blue sky. God created this sky. It's really pretty. It's nice. But we wouldn't say it's glorious. 
Now, if we take that exact same blue sky and we place right in the middle of it a dazzling, bright, shining sun and some well-placed cumulus nimbus clouds to reflect the rays and defract the light, we look at that and we go, oh, wow, that's glorious. That, why do we say that's glorious? Like that sky is what reflects the Lord's glory, but not the other sky. Why is that? Because it's so beautiful. Is glory about physical beauty or attractiveness? Or what about Niagara Falls? I, I think about Niagara Falls a lot, right? It's, it's huge and, and it's powerful and it, and it thunders loud and it could crush you, right? And we look at Niagara Falls. You ever been there? 82 square miles of waterfall, right? I mean, 60 billion gallons a day. I read that last week and I thought, that's what my water bill says, but it doesn't. It's not even close, right? But we look at Niagara Falls and we say, that's glorious. Why do we say Niagara Falls is glorious? Is glory about power? Or maybe glory is about like sometimes we think about the Ark of the Covenant when we talk about the glory of God, right? The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. This is where God is. That's glory. Now, I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones. And so to me, when I look at this, I'm reminded that if you look at God's glory in the Ark of the Covenant, your face will either catch on fire or explode or melt and run down the rest of your body. So that's actually a terrifying image to me, which at least a few times, was terrifying to the Israelites as well, right? Or maybe the glory of God is God on his heavenly throne, in heaven, in glory. Like, like this might be, I'd say, a sixth glory, or this is like what we think of when we think of Revelation 4 glory. And I think all of these images and I think all of these thoughts have a lot of merit, but they're incomplete, it's not just the beauty and the attractiveness of God. It's not just the, the power and the might of our God. And it's not just the presence of our God. In fact, even if you combine all three of those things, I think you still fall woefully short. What is God's glory? Well, he tells us. We don't have to guess at this. Turn to Exodus chapter 34. We're just, we're just going to park right here. I want you to get there. Not in your phones. If you've got a Bible, man, I'd love for you to just look in your Bible at this because there, there are some things I want to point out. There are some things I really want you to see in Exodus 34. And, you know, there are a lot of things in Scripture that are difficult that you kind of have to wrestle with and we have to study it real hard and we have to all interpret it. Then we have to argue about each other's interpretations. This is not one of those things. God tells us straight up, this is my glory. This is me. And we're going to spend 2022, we're going to spend this whole year getting these words of our God inside us. Now I'm telling you, this year, 2022, it's going to be a transition year for us here at GCR. This is going to be a year of growth for us. We're going to let go of some things this year. We're also going to zero in with more focus on other things this year. We believe that we are called to something so much greater than just GCR. We believe we are called as God's people to something bigger and greater than just our own hopes and our own ideas. We believe we are called to reflect God's glory.
We are called to bring God glory. So we're starting right here today. Who is this God we serve? Who is this God we belong to? Who is this God who has brought all of us together here at GCR? Who is he really? What is he really doing? And what does he really want for us? I'm convinced that if the people of Midland, Texas knew God, not what somebody's told them about God, not what they think about God, not what some relative or family member believes about God, but if they really knew God, who he really is, they would break down our doors to get closer to him. They would want a relationship with God if they knew him as he really is. I want to tell you a little bit about my grandmother, okay? Uh, my dad's mom, my grandmother, she died a little over 21 years ago. And man, I still think about her a lot. Um, she was the greatest grandmother, I think, any kid, any person could ever have. She loved me and she loved our cousins unconditionally. And we loved her because she loved us so much. We wanted to be with her in her presence, in her house all the time. And we were very, very blessed. We were because my grandmother only lived a half mile from our house. We lived in the same neighborhood there in Southeast Dallas. And so we were over her house all the time and we loved it. And when we spent the night at my grandmother's house, it was awesome because every morning at my grandmother's house, we had Fruit Loops for breakfast. <laughs> and Fruit Loops was a big deal. In fact, she would wake us up that way. She would walk up and down the hallway with that box of Fruit Loops, shaking it. Fruit Loops, Fruit Loops, get up. We're having Fruit Loops. Now, most of y'all don't get it. We didn't have Fruit Loops at my house. I lived every day in that house and never had a sugared cereal. It was always either rice checks or some off-brand cornflake, you know, jewel tea cornflakes. That's what we had at my house. But at my grandmother's house, it was Fruit Loops, and it was awesome. And we went to the same church. And so a lot of the times, my grandmother would drive us kids home after church on a Wednesday night, and she always stopped at Southern Made Donuts, and we ate donuts on the way home. Elementary age kids on a school night, 8.30, driving home, eating chocolate-covered donut holes. It was awesome. And my grandmother played games with us at her kitchen table. We played checkers and Chinese checkers and dominoes and go fish. She read to us all the time. She sang with us. She played hide-and-seek with us. And she always hid in that same closet in the same middle bedroom every time. And every time we found her, she would just laugh with joy. One day when I was seven or eight, maybe, I got mad about something. I ran away from home. And I packed up that little blue plastic saddlebag on the back of my big wheel with seven or eight rolls of lifesavers I had found in my mom's desk drawer. And I pedaled. Those, those whole four blocks, I guess, to my grandmother's house. And I remember I was crying when I got there. And my grandmother called my parents and fed me dinner and then drove me home. But I wanted to be with my grandmother in her house. We drank Pepsi at my grandmother's house. 
At my house, it was water or watered-down Kool-Aid. At my grandmother's house, it was Pepsi. And it was awesome. And over the years, I think I accidentally almost burned my grandmother's house down to the ground at least twice. And I broke seven or eight of her garage door windows. And she had a Sears cold spot refrigerator in her kitchen. It said cold spot right there on the door. And one day I took a spoon handle and I just thought it would be really funny to scrape off the C in cold and scrape off the S in spot. And so for almost 25 years until the day she died, she had an old pot refrigerator. (laughs) I was the only one who thought it was funny for 20 plus years. But I never can remember one time my grandmother ever being angry with me. I don't remember her ever being upset with me. I don't remember her ever being disappointed in me. She loved me unconditionally. 24 hours a day, she loved me and wanted what was best for me and gave and gave and gave to me. We loved her. Because she loved us so much. And if you knew my grandmother, you'd want to be with her too. You'd want to be in her house with her. If you knew my grandmother, you'd want to have a close relationship with her. And I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, if the people of Midland, Texas knew our God, if they knew him the way he really is, they'd want to get close to him. They'd want to have a tight relationship with him. So let's look at this. The glory of God. Flip back to Exodus 32, okay? Uh, Moses is on the mountain with God. The Israelites have made an idol out of gold, and they're worshiping it. And God tells Moses about it. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, the ones you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Moses... Then says this to the Lord, look at verse 11. Oh Lord, why should your anger burn against your people, the ones you brought up out of Egypt? And so Moses walks down the mountain. He sees with his own eyes what's happening. He sees the golden calf. He sees all the evil that's taking place. He smashes the Ten Commandments. He punishes the people. And then Moses resumes his conversation with God. He goes into the tabernacle. He's there with God. In verse 31 Moses says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. Look at the first verse in chapter uh, 33. The Lord says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. So you see what's going on here. For a couple of chapters, Moses and God are arguing about who these lousy people really do belong to. Who's responsible for them? The Lord reminds Moses, you're the one who brought him up out of Egypt. And Moses corrects him every single time. Oh, no, 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 no. You're the one who did this. These are your people. Moses says to the Lord in uh, verse 12, look at 33, 12. You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Wait a second. What about Aaron? You know how sometimes when you're mad, you kind of forget about things that have happened in the past? You know, you're arguing with your spouse. Now, this is purely hypothetical. I've never argued with my spouse. But I hear that sometimes when you're arguing with your spouse, 
you'll spout off and you'll say something like, well, you never say that or you've never done that. And then your spouse will give you like seven examples. Oh, no, I've done this plenty of times. Or, oh, no, I, I say this all the time. And then you have to say you're sorry. I think that's what's going on here. Moses says, I don't know who you're going to send with me. And God's got to be thinking, hey, we've already had this conversation. Joshua is actually in the tent with Moses at this time. He's got to be thinking, what am I, chop liver? Look at verse 13. Moses says to the Lord, teach me your ways so I may know you. Teach me. Show me. Why? Because I want to know you. I want us to be in a righteous relationship together. And then Moses says, remember, these are your people. He can't help it. He had to say it one more time. And then in verse 18, Moses says, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to see you. Show me your glory. The Hebrew word for glory here is kavod. The Greek word is doxa. This is the word from which we get our word doxology. It means honor. It means character. It can mean radiance. It also has a symbolic connection to the word for face, like saving face or maintaining honor. Sort of kind of even like receiving a blessing from somebody, right? So every single time the Psalms say, do not turn your face from us, it's that word, kavod, do not turn your glory from us. In the Old Testament, glory and face are kind of the same word. Like in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Uh, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. It's kavod, glory and face. It's the same word. Moses says, show me your face. I want to see your face. Moses is saying, look, God, I've heard your voice. Booming down from the mountain. I've heard your voice coming at me from the burning bush. I've actually seen your fingers write your word on the stone tablets. But if we're going to go any farther together, I need to see your face. I need to know who I'm talking to. I want to know you, God. Show me your glory. And in verse 19, the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. God says, I'll show you my goodness. We're not talking about his literal face here, right? The glory of God doesn't have anything to do with what he looks like. This is, this is about God's honor. This is about God's character. This is about his qualities, this is who God is. And God makes a plan to do this for Moses. At the end of chapter 33, he says, there's a place near me. I want you to stand on this rock, and then I will reveal to you my glory. Chapter 34, the very next morning, early in the morning, it says, Moses is standing where the Lord asked him to stand. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. If the Old Testament had red letters, these words would be burning red 
like red and gold with flames and smoke and fire that would jump off the page every time we read them. These are God's own words. This is God's very voice. This is our God's heart. This is a face-to-face revelation of God himself to his people. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is who God is. Now, look at Moses' response. Two things here. Number one, Moses bows down to the ground and he worships. He puts his forehead on the ground, it says, in this body posture, this position that says, I submit. I'm not even worthy to stand up in your presence. I'm not worthy to speak to you. I'm not even worthy to look at you. Why? Because you are the Lord. And because you are so good. And then secondly, look at verse 9. Moses says, let the Lord go with us. Us. For the first time in this conversation, Moses says us. There in the presence of God's character, there in the presence of God's love and faithfulness, in the presence of God's glory, in a stunning display of abject humility, Moses realizes, I'm no better than my brothers and sisters who made this golden calf. We're in this together. And Moses begs God, Lord, go with us. Forgive our wickedness, he says. Take us to belong to you. This is not about God's beauty. This is not about God's power. God's glory is about who he is. This is the I am defined abounding in love and faithfulness, he says, abounding, overflowing. You can't measure God's love and faithfulness. I go back to Niagara Falls again, you know, all that water, billions and billions of gallons of water just spilling over the edge, rushing over the edge, pouring over the edge. It can't be controlled. It can't be stopped. That is the love and the faithfulness of our God abounding. You know, the psalmist says, my cup overflows. And if the world knew this about our God, they'd break into this building every day trying to get close to him. Moses says, show me your glory. And God shows him his character, who he is. The apostle John is trying to describe Jesus. He wants to write to his church about Jesus' life and his teachings and his death and his resurrection. And I imagine John one day is reading Exodus 34. And like a good Jew, I'm sure John had this memorized, you know. Or maybe, maybe this was in John's um, New Year's resolution daily Bible reading plan, okay? So, so maybe it's late February, early March, and John is reading Exodus 34, and as he reads this interaction between Moses and God, I can just imagine the hair standing up on the back of his neck. And John reads it again, and he just freezes. 
and he starts to sweat and his heart skips a beat and he misses a breath show me your glory and John says I can't believe it we have seen his glory the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth Nowhere in the Gospels does it tell us what Jesus looked like. But man, do we know his character. Amen? We know who Jesus is. Jesus is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Faithful even to the point of death, is he not? And forgiving, yes. Jesus Christ came to this earth to reveal to us in flesh and blood, in person, exactly how God described himself from Mount Sinai. And John says, we've seen it. We've seen this glory. Now, we're going to talk about this glory of God all year long. And we're going to talk about how we reflect this glory of our God throughout the year. There are nine characteristics of our God in these verses. And every month or so, every month-ish, we're going to look at a new characteristic of God. And we want to we read these words out loud all year long. I want to encourage you to read these words out loud. Read them with your kids. Read them to God in your devotional time. I want you to memorize these words. I want you to pray these words to our Lord. I want these words to get inside your soul. I hope that you got one of these table tents at one of the doors. If you didn't pick one of these up, I want you to grab two or three of them on your way out today. I want you to fold it up, tape it, however you do this. I want you to put these words on your desk in your office, or I want you to put them on your kitchen table right in the middle of your house. Have these words in front of you all the time. These words that remind you who our God really, really is. At the very least, having these words in front of us will help us to interpret Scripture because the word glory is found in every book. What does Romans 3 say? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We don't look like God? No, it means we're not acting like God. His qualities. We fall short of God's character. Romans 6, 4, Mowdy read this to us as we were eating and drinking together earlier. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Well, what does glory have to do with my baptism? Well, I was baptized when I was 11 years old by my dad at this Pleasant Grove Church of Christ in Dallas. And when 11-year-old Alan came up out of the water, there were no bright lights, there wasn't an angelic chorus singing, no booming voice from heaven, no spirit of God descended on me like a dove. When I came up out of the water, about 400 people sang, he paid a debt. But God was given glory that day in my baptism. How? Because God's faithfulness and his love came true for me that day. God promised forever ago that through Abraham's seed, through my holy son, Jesus Christ, the anointed Messiah, through him, I'm going to bless all nations. I'm going to bless all peoples, even that shrimpy little 11-year-old kid in Dallas with the bowl haircut and the Roger Staubach t-shirt, that guy. And you. And Drew. Amen? Amen? And all of us, 
When you were baptized into Christ, God's love and faithfulness, his glory, came true for you that day. So your baptism is evidence of the glory of God. But you know what? So is your ongoing Christian transformation. You being changed every day proves the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3. Man, we're going to wear this verse out in 2022. You ready? Starting right now, we're going to wear it out. We all reflect the Lord's glory. And we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Reflecting God's glory. That's all of us. But what does it mean? We'll just go down the list. Every time you show compassion, Every time you show grace, every time you show love, every time you demonstrate faithfulness, every time GCR shares forgiveness, every time we as a church show mercy. Listen, how is our community going to see the glory of God? How will they experience the true character of our eternal God if we're not the ones showing it to them? If we don't reflect it, if we don't reveal it, if we don't embody it. A lot of people say we're the hands and feet of Jesus. But reflecting God's glory means we are the very heart of our God. We have a lot to look forward to in 2022. There's so much we want to do as a church together. All of us, I believe, have dreams and visions for this church at GCR and for what God wants us, how he wants us to impact the kingdom, not only here in Midland, Texas, but throughout the rest of the world. And there's an obvious energy right now. There's a tremendous potential that I think all of us are feeling right now. And we have a lot to talk about in the next six or eight weeks or so. And listen, we're going to talk about all of it. But we're going to start right here. Everything we talk about in 2022, everything we attempt to do as a church family in this year is going to begin and end with God's character and his will. And so we're starting here. This year, we're going to bring the glory of God into every single context of this church life, in here and out there. We're going to reflect God's glory. We're not going to reflect God's glory to all people except the ones that don't look like me. We're not going to reflect God's glory to all the town except for the people who don't agree with me or act like me. We're talking about reflecting God's glory, no exceptions, no escape clauses, no fine print. This church is going to reflect the glory of our God. The Bible says, whatever you do, in everything you do, do it all for the glory of our God. And when our community sees the glory of God in us, when our city sees us reflecting God's glory the way he revealed it to us from Mount Sinai and the way he revealed it to us in the blood and flesh of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this town will be changed. People will break down our doors to get to us. It'll be like harvest party every week we won't have to pass out flyers we won't have to advertise we won't have to build bounce houses we won't have to pass out books when we reflect God's glory in everything we do church lives will be changed and our God's name will be praised amen, amen. stand with me let's sing it together